Hello and welcome to The Grove Zone. You have tuned into the podcast of the Union Grove Missionary Baptist Church of Warner Robins, Georgia. At Union Grove, we are learning, serving, giving, and connecting under the leadership of our senior pastor, Dr. David Anthony Clark, Sr. For more information on Union Grove, find us on the web at www. Dot the grovewr.org. And now, here's a word from the Lord. It's good to see you today. Uh, Psalm 119. Repeat after me, verse 92. Unless your law had been my delight, I would then have perished in my affliction. We want to put the spotlight on that verse and deal with today's text from the following thought, let me tell you how I made it. Let me tell you how I made it. Had a great time at a luncheon with our seniors on yesterday. Delicious food, wonderful fellowship. At the very end, I was allowed to share a few words. You know, down south, you share words. Uh, Not words, words. And so I shared with them how I celebrated them, how I love them, how we love them, we need them. And when I want all of us to ensure again that each of us feel a part of our church family to include our seniors. And I don't know how many of you are aware of it here at Union Grove, but here in the Grove Zone, we have some people who were actively engaged in the height of the civil rights movement back in the 60s. We have people here who sat at lunch counters Uh, fighting for equal rights, fighting for civil rights. We have people who marched, uh, participated in marches for civil rights. And so what I want to point out is that we have in this congregation uh, numerous heroes and sheroes who have been through it. Some even have been incarcerated uh, for civil rights. There are some who have been incarcerated for other reasons. We're going to leave that alone. But there are some who have been incarcerated for standing up for what's right. Not only that, but we have some folks here who have survived racism in the workplace. Some of you are still fighting, enduring racism in the workplace, sexism in the workplace. But we celebrate even our veterans who endured racism in the military, uh, especially back in the 50s and the 60s. If you were to sit down with Deacon uh, Earl Davis, he could tell you some stories Uh, Even Deacon Jerome Stevens and all of these guys who are, uh, all of our deacons who are in the the thick of it, uh, when when minorities were openly discriminated against, even in the military, but they made it. Deacon Earl Davis, one example of one who endured racism in the height of what you could openly uh, discriminate against those persons of color and, and made it to the top of the ranks and uh, he made it, and that's what I want to really accent, that we have people in this test, in this congregation who have made it through civil rights, through racism. But not only that, we have some people who, who aren't old and have survived Hurricane Katrina. Amen. You sit down with Jackie. Jackie could tell you some stories about surviving Hurricane Katrina. We got survivors in our church. Then you have people who also had to endure burying loved ones, burying their spouse 40, 50 years, burying their children. I could not imagine what it would be like to have to bury your child. 
but they made it. We have people here who have survived heart attacks and survived strokes, survived cancer, uh, and they made it. And so many folks here who will tell you that they don't look like what they've been through. Can I get a witness here? The psalmist also, the psalmist also has had some struggles. He doesn't, doesn't go into detail in this stanza. He talks about some folk out to get him. Now he's clear that there's some folk who are out to get him. And when he talks about these proud folk who are out to get him, they, lay, they lie in wait to attack him. Uh, they, they want to destroy him. They want to kill him. They don't want to just hurt him a little bit. They, they, want, to, they want to ruin him and destroy him. And he testifies in verse 92 of how he made it with all of his struggles, all of his troubles, all of his afflictions, with all of the people who have attacked him and sought him as a target and hunted him uh, like he was a mere animal. He tells us how he made it. Verse 92, he says, unless your law, your commands had been my delight, I don't think I'd have made it. I'd have died in the midst of my trouble. I'd have died in the midst of it. That word, that word delight is something we ought to put the spotlight on there in verse 92. That word delight simply means delight. It means to take pleasure in. It means, it means you find something pleasant. You find something enjoyable. You, you really love it. He, he says, I love your word. I love your commands. And there are, as we've been studying in Bible study, uh, there, there are numerous synonyms that he uses for scripture. Uh, precepts, your word, your command, your law. Uh, all of them have different Hebrew words. They mean different, different things, but kind of the same thing. It all boils down to the word of God, the word of God. But this word that he uses for precepts hones in on the law, the commands of God. He says, I delight in your commands. And if it had not been for my delighting in your commands, my enjoying your commands, my, my taking pleasure in your commands, I don't know if I'd have made it through the troubles that I would have made it through. And this is not the first time this particular psalmist uses the word delight or refers to the word of God as something that he loves, something that he delights in. Are y'all with me so far? Psalm 119 verse 16, he says, I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Psalm 119 verse 24, your laws please me, they give me wise advice. Verse 35, make me walk along the path of your commands for that is where my happiness is found. Verse 47, he says, how I delight in your commands, how I love them. Verse 70, their hearts are dull and stupid, but I delight in your instructions. Then in verse 77, surround me with your tender mercies so I may live for your instructions are my delight. Then in verse 92, he says, man, I was in trouble. I was in some show enough trouble. I'm talking life-threatening trouble. And I don't think I'd have made it if it had not been for my love, my delight, my taking pleasure, my enjoying the commands that God has given me. Isn't that something? And you ask him, how did you make it? He'd tell you, I made it because of the commands of God. And not just knowing them, not just hearing them, not just reading them every now and then. He says, I take delight in the commands of God. I enjoy them. I find pleasure in them. I, uh, I delight in them. That is what helped me make it. And I, I just got to be honest. He, he, he brings to me, I don't know about you, but he, he brings to me an interesting question, Dr. Anderson. Interesting question. Where does such a delight come from? Because I don't think everybody in the church, Dean Clark, delights in the word of God. I think there are some folks, they are right with it. You know, they, 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 they are right with the scriptures. They don't have a problem with it, but they, they wouldn't say that they delight in the scriptures. 
They, they wouldn't say that they delight. They, their study habits don't show that they delight in the commands of God. I mean, they don't mind hearing about it. You can quote it every now and then, but I, I, don't, I think some of us would have to, have to be honest and say, I don't know if I delight in the word because, I mean, if you don't even spend a whole lot of time in it, you can't say that you delight in it. If you're not spending a whole lot of time meditating on it, you can't say you delight in it. I don't know if you, if you're not studying it to, to dig into it so you can understand it and apply it. Uh, I don't know if you can say you delight in it, but my man says, I delight in the word of God. Where does such a delight come from? Is it God given? Does, does God give you this delight to where if you don't have it, you just say, well, the Lord ain't gave it to me yet. Is it that you can you can justify not studying the scriptures, not living by the scriptures, not basing your faith in God on the scriptures because you don't have a God-given delight? Is it something that's God-given or is it something that we develop? And the truth is maybe it's both. Maybe it's something God gives you when he saves you. He gives it to you in seed form, but it's your responsibility and mine to develop a delight for the word of God. And, and, and because when you look at Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 13, Jesus teaches a parable about uh, a sower sowing seed and the impact it has in different types of soil. And the point of the parable, when Jesus talks about the seed and, the, and, and being sown onto different types of soil, he's trying to articulate that, that there are different responses to the word of God. Yeah. For example, he says there are some seeds. It's like the sower uh, sowing seeds. He's he's planting seeds, and some of it fall along the pathway, the footpath, the footpath. And, and he says that that's that's the person, the one who hears the word of God. It's like the the word of the seed falling along the footpath. He says that's the one who understand who doesn't understand it because a devil comes and snatches understanding away from that person. Yeah. Uh, uh, then he talks about the person who, who hears the word of God and equates that there are some people who hear the word of God being preached, being taught, being explained, and they're like seed that falls on rocky soil. Let the church say rocky soil. He says this person is the kind of person who hears the word of God, and, and so there are no deep roots in their life. They don't last long. They're excited for a minute, but as soon as problems or persecution arise, they're gone. You, they're gone. they you don't see them. They're not talking about Jesus. They're not relying on Jesus. It, it, it's over with. They, they had a quick minute of being excited for the Lord, but it didn't last long. I think all of us know some folk like that. Hear the word. You see them. They're on fire. But the moment some problems come up, the moment they, have, they, they catch hell for their faith in Christ, you don't see them anymore. Different responses to how people hear the word of God. Then Jesus describes some people. It's like the sower who sows seed and the seed falls among thorns. Let the church say thorns. He says, this is the kind of person who hears the word of God, but the word of God is crowded out by the worries of this life and the pursuit of wealth. Yeah, so there are some people, they hear the word, but they get to worrying so much about life, worrying so much about their situations and worrying so much about their, their problems and everything. They, that worry cries out the impact the word of God could have on their mind and on their soul. Jesus said, it's just all kinds of responses to people who hear the word of God. Then finally, he says, there are some who are like the sower who sows seed. They plant the seed and it falls on good ground. Let the church say good ground. This is the person who hears the word of God. They understand the word of God and they apply the word of God. And then even in that, uh, the persons who are like good, good soil, good ground, Jesus says some brings forth, what, 30-fold returns and some bring forth 60 and then some... 
a 100-fold return. So out of everybody who hears the word of God, understands the word of God, applies the word of God, you're going to get different responses from all of those kinds of people. So there are different types of responses. But the point Jesus was making in that parable, whether you're the kind of person who hears the word of God, you don't understand it, the devil snatches it, or you hear the word of God, and it doesn't take deep roots, and you don't last long because the problems of persecutions sweep you away, or you hear the word of God and work, and worry, and wealth, drown. Uh, it all out. Jesus is trying to get one thing across in that parable, and it's this. You are responsible for what you do with what you hear. You can talk about how you're not being fed and how you're not, be, how you're not growing. Jesus said you are responsible for what you do with what you hear. So you can complain about how you, you just don't like this and you don't like that teaching and you're not getting anything out of this class or that class or this church and you're looking at joining different churches because you're not being fed. If you're not being fed, according to what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 13, a part of the problem is you're not being responsible with what you're doing with what you're hearing. Yeah, there are some lame preachers. You might want to put my name on the lame preacher list. That's cool. I mean, there are some lame preachers. There are some people that can't feed you, and there are some people that might feed some believers and not feed you. I get that. I mean, there are some people I can listen to and some people I'd rather not listen to, but I'm responsible for what I do with what I hear. So if you want to answer the question, where does such a delight for the word of God come from? God can plant the seed of a desire for his word in your heart when he saves you, when the gospel message causes you to repent of your sins and you give your life to Christ. But your growth after that is up to you. You are responsible with what you do with what you hear. And to make sure your neighbor hasn't fallen asleep on me yet, just tell your neighbor, you are responsible. For what you do with what you hear, that's where the delight comes from. It's something I've got to hone. It's something I've got to work on. So sometimes I've got to turn TV off and, and push my worries aside and develop a delight for the word of God. Sometimes I've got to understand, y'all, problems are going to happen in my life whether I'm saved or not, and especially if I call myself being saved and trying to live right and trying to live holy, problems are going to come your way. And it's up to you to decide. I'm not going to allow the problems that come my way to push me away from the God who saved me by his grace, woke me up this morning, started me on my way. I'm not going to allow persecution to push me away from the God who saved me by his grace, washed my sins away by his blood. I'm not going to allow worry to come into my mind and push me away from the God who spoke destiny into my life and promised me that he'd never leave me nor forsake me. I'm not going to allow what the devil wants to do to push me away from the God who promised me if I draw nigh unto him, he will draw nigh unto me because I understand I am responsible for what I do with what I hear. So where does the delight come from? I guess we can say it's a partnership. God will do his part, but you've got to do your part. You've got to push away all the stuff that Jesus described in Matthew 13. Push it away. Defend yourself against it. Guard your heart and your mind against worry and the pursuit of, and, and being distracted by the pursuit of wealth and, and problems and all of that. And understand that, that, that God's word is true. And I'm going to study his word and pursue his word and meditate on his word because the psalmist said, 
If I had to tell you how I made it through the troubles that came into my life, I'd have to tell you if it had not been for my delight in the word of God, in the commands of God, I don't think I'd have made it through my troubles. So my next question, y'all, my next question is, how does delighting in God's law keep you going when you're under attack? How is it that I can make it through? Because your neighbor is wondering, how can they make it through the trouble that they're enduring right now by delighting in the word of God? A couple of things real quick, and I'm going to raise up. Here's one thing I want to present for your consideration that the psalmist proposes to us. One thing is God's word, his testimony is, God's word helped him with his belief when he was under attack. Yes, God's word helped him with his belief. Let the church say belief. God's word helped him with his belief when he was under attack. Yeah, his, his beliefs came from the word of God, and they helped him survive attack. His beliefs, what he believed about the world, what he believed about God, what he believed about himself, what he believed about his future. This is worth considering, y'all, because what you believe when you're under attack can determine whether you're strong or whether you're weak. It can determine whether you're going to endure or if you're going to quit. It can determine whether you're going to win or if you're going to lose. What you believe can determine, it can determine whether there's fight in the dog while the dog is still in the fight. Yeah, look, at, look with me, look with me at how God's word helped his belief when he was under attack. First of all, he believed, according to verse 89, he believed God's word was eternal and settled. Verse 89, he testifies, verse 89, your eternal word, O Lord, stands firm in heaven. It's eternal, it's settled, it's timeless, it has no beginning, it has no end, uh, it is firmly established, it cannot be overturned. The psalmist says, when I was in trouble, I understood what God commanded, what God spoke could not be overturned. You ever had some people flip-flop on you? This means some of, some of us who had people flip-flop on us, they may have said one thing, and then they overturned it. They, they changed their minds, said they were going to help you, and then they turned around and didn't. Or even worse, you thought they were your friend, then they overturned. And realize the one that said they had your back actually is trying to put a knife in it. Since God's word is eternal and settled, my man is saying, I'm settled on some things in my life. I'm settled on the fact that problems are going to come, but I'm going to trust God's word. I'm settled that some people are going to flip on you, but God will never flip. I'm settled on the fact that although people can be out to get you and try to ruin you, there's a God who promised he'd never leave you nor forsake you. And if you trust him, I believe your destiny is settled. I believe God can take you to a place that is established and settled just like his word is. And so so there are some things that you've got to be settled on while you're under attack. You've got to be settled on how God has a word that is eternal and it is settled. So I just want to encourage you to be settled on winning the fight that you're in. Yeah, be settled on coming out on top. You need to settle that I'm going to win this thing. I'm going to beat cancer. I'm going to beat this court case. I'm going to win this discrimination suit. I'm going to win in the end. I'm going to come out on top. I'm going to win against disease. I'm going to win against discrimination. Nation. I'm going to win against depression. I'm going to win against sin. I'm going to win against mediocrity. I'm going to win against poverty. Everything the devil is trying to bring into my life to hold me down and hold me back. I'm settled on one thing. Problems are going to come, but I'm coming out on top. 
is settled. He says your word is settled. But not only that, look at verse 90. Verse 90, he believes. The word of God infects, uh, influences his beliefs. Uh, in verse 90, he says he believed God was faithful. He believed God was faithful. Look at verse 90. I love verse 90. Verse 90, he says, your faithfulness extends to every generation as enduring as the earth you created. What he's saying is what kept me going in the middle of the, uh, in, the, in the midst of my fight, in the midst of my affliction, my trouble. I kept thinking, I kept believing that the God that I serve is a God of various generations. In other words, he's been faithful to my great, great, great grandmom and them. He's going to be faithful to me. He's faithful to our, our seniors in here who have endured civil rights and endured discrimination and fought cancer, buried loved ones, buried children, and that same God who blessed them, who kept them, who comforted them, the same God who can bless me and keep me and comfort me. Are y'all praying with me today? God blesses from one generation to the next. Believing God is faithful simply suggests that you believe that God is going to come through for you. If that's your testimony today, I just need you to declare God is going to come through for me. He was faithful back in the day, and he's faithful now. He was faithful in the days of your great, great grandmama and them. He's faithful today. He says, you're the God. You've been, your faithfulness has extended from one generation to the next. That means he was faithful back in the day, and he's faithful now. God has proved himself faithful to the generation who listened to Diana Ross and the Supremes. He will prove himself faithful to the generation who wears Supreme. He proved himself faithful to the generation who grooved to Teddy P. He's faithful to the, to the generation who vibes to Gotti, Cardi B. He was faithful to, back in the day to the generation who would fight the power with the Isley brothers. He's faithful to the generation who watches power with Tommy and Ghost tonight. The word of God teaches us that God is faithful. He cannot lie. He cannot lie. He will do what he said he do. He will come through for you. And so since God is faithful, the psalmist would testify, I believe he will fight my battles just like he said he would. I believe he's going to provide just like he said he would. I believe he will take care of me just like he said he would. I believe he will open doors no man can shut just like he said he would. I believe he will be my shepherd just like he said he would. I believe good and mercy will follow me all the days of my life just like he said he would because God is faithful God is faithful I believe God is going to come through for me just like he said he would now how many of you know that he will do it won't he do it won't he will won't he will ask your neighbor won't he will he is a faithful God. What kept him going, my man said, what kept me going is the word of God. It affected my beliefs the whole time I was going through. I just kept believing God is going to come through for me. And I just want to challenge somebody. Maybe that's something you want to incorporate in your prayers this week. God, I just believe you're coming through for me. God, you know what the doctors are saying, but I'm believing you're coming through for me because your faithfulness extends from one generation to the next. Not only that, he believed, he believed, he believed not only, that, not only that God's word was eternal and settled, not only did he believe that God was faithful, but finally, he believed that everything served God's plans. Jacob in verse 91, verse 91 says, your regulations remain true to this day, for here it is, everything serves your plans. Everything serves your plans. Everything, everything I'm going through, the good and the bad. 
serves according to your plans. The ups and the downs serve according to your plans. When I get promoted, when I get fired, serves according to your plans. He believed everything serves according to God's plan. So what he's saying in that, y'all, what he's saying when he says everything serves your plans, but what he's saying is God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Everything in creation and all of our circumstances somehow are subject to God's sovereignty. Since everything serves God's plans, I believe he will cause all things to work together for good for me since I love him and I'm called according to his purpose. Because everything serves according to your plans. Can I get a witness here today? He must, he must have taken a play or two from Joseph's playbook. Y'all remember what happened to Joseph? His brothers sold him uh, into, into slavery. His brothers tried to kill him and all of that. And, and Joseph wound up being in the palace there in Egypt. And, and if it wasn't for him, uh, he, he was promoted during a famine. And his brothers were struggling. And they came to him. And he recognized them. And they recognized him. And Joseph said, I ain't mad at y'all for what y'all did to me. Because what y'all meant for evil, God took that thing. God took the evil you did. God took the mistreatment you did. God took your abuse toward me and he caused it to work according to his, his plans. Oh, it hurt when I had to go through it. Oh, it hurt me when I heard you say what you said. Oh, it hurt me when you turned your back on me. But now that I'm a couple of years beyond it and I look back in retrospect, I can look how God took that thing and caused it to work together for good. He made it serve according to his plans. And I just want to encourage somebody who's being mistreated, somebody who's being abused, somebody who's being hunted like a low-down dog, the very mistreatment, the very abuse that you're enduring, God is saying to you today, I'm going to take that thing. And if you obey me, if you walk in my ways, if you trust me, if you allow my word to affect how you believe and what you declare and what you think, God says, I'm going to take that thing and I'm going to work it together for good. Oh, every divorce, I'll take it and work it together. Every mean word they said, I'll take it and work it. Oh, every mistreatment, every time you've been overlooked for promotion, I'll take it and I'll work it together. Every round of chemo, every misdiagnosis. God says, I can take it. Can he take it? Anybody here ever been through something and you couldn't see how it would work together for good? But after God brought you out of it, after God made a way for you, after God made your enemies your footstool, I need somebody to declare God can take it and make it work according to his plans. You may be wondering, how could God take this that I'm going through now and make it work together for good? How can God take the pain that I'm enduring from somebody I love and somebody I invested in? How could God take this and cause it to work together? How can he cause it to work for his plans? All I can tell you is just hold on. Or like the old folks say, just keep living, baby. Keep living, baby. Let his word affect your belief. Let his word influence what you're thinking, what you're saying, and how you're going to see your future. God is able. He can take that thing and make it work together for good. Oh, yes, he can. Oh, yes, he can. Yes, he can. Quick story the Spirit of God just brought to my remembrance. Let me tell you this quick story real quick. I've told you before. Let me tell it to you again real quick. Um, United, United States, the United States Marine Corps, Okinawa, Japan, Michelle and I over there. I was only supposed to be there for one year. She had come over. We loved it, so we wanted the tour converted. I told you all this story. I wanted to get it from a one, a converted from a one-year tour to a three-year tour. So I went to my supervisor. My supervisor says, I'm not sure I want you here with me for three years. Because he had just got there before I did. He said, I'm not sure I want you to be here with me for three years. I 
don't know. I'm, I'm going to just have to think about that thing. A couple of weeks later, he confesses that he was molesting his daughter. And so I, I had gone to school to be an escort, to escort people on their way to the brig. And guess who escorted him on his way to the brig? So a new, a new supervisor who is working with us takes over. New supervisor takes over. I come to him. I say, look, man, I went to bro, man. I remember his name. I'm just not going to put him on blast. I went to bro, man, and I asked him if he would approve my tour of getting converted. And uh, he said he didn't, he didn't like what he saw, so he wouldn't, he wouldn't sign the paperwork and approve it to go up the chain. He said, Clark, I like you, and I think you were treated unfairly. I'll sign it. I'll approve it. I'd love to have you here with me for three years. Yeah. Now, what's really even crazy back then, uh, E-4s in the Marine Corps weren't getting three-year tours with their spouses. But when God says, I'm going to take that thing, I'm going to take how that, one, how that one supervisor treated you. You just hold on. I got another supervisor coming behind him. And I'm going to take that thing. And I'm going to turn it. He believed everything served according to God's plans. And I just want to encourage you to believe that God is going to take that thing. Maybe that's something you need to declare in your conversations with God this week. God, I believe what I'm going through right now. It hurts. It's embarrassing. It's humiliating. I can't believe it, but I'm just believing by faith. You're going to take this thing and I'm coming out with a blessing. I'm coming out on top. Though you slay me, yet will I trust you. Is that anybody's testimony today? Is that, is that how your conversations with God are going to go this week? God, yet shall I trust you. Because I'm believing you're going to take this thing. The psalmist is telling God how he made it through. How he made it through his struggle. He says the word of God helped him with his belief. But the second thing, y'all, the second thing, he says God's word helped him bounce back when he was under attack. He says God's word helped him bounce back when he was under attack. Uh, Tony, I'm in verse 93. Look at verse 93. I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. Quickened me. That word quickened means revive, brought back to life, brought back from sickness, brought back from discouragement, brought back from faintness, brought back from weakness. I wonder how many of us got a weak neighbor sitting beside them. Just weak, man. I'm tired of going through what I'm going through. It's taking all the life out of me, taking all the joy out of me, taking all of my, it's just zapping me of strength. The psalmist would tell you, you can bounce back. You can bounce back from that. You can be revived. You can be restored. A couple of things here, y'all, that's very important. He, he says he, he, revived, he was revived by the commands of God, and, and, and he would have been out for the count. If it had not been for God's commands, two things that this suggests, I think is very important. One thing that the psalmist suggests is breakdowns happen. Breakdowns happen. Breakdowns in your faith. Breakdowns in your strength. Breakdowns in your joy. They happen. They happen. And let me, let me encourage somebody with this. Let me encourage somebody with this. This is me and you talking. Me and you. Don't be discouraged. Don't be distracted by anybody else in the church who seems to always have it all together. This me and you talking, me and you talking. The truth is, no one is exempt from breakdowns. Ain't no, no one has an anointing so strong to where they don't lose it. No one has so much favor on their life to where they never get discouraged, where they never lose their joy. They never, everybody, everybody has breakdown. Everybody has breakdowns. Everybody. Everybody has some situations that they go through that can really get to them. 
get to their emotions and play with their emotions, Smokey. Everybody, everybody. Moses broke down in discouragement, asked God, why did you bring me out here with these people? Elijah broke down in discouragement where he laid up under that juniper tree and asked God, Lord, take my life. Jeremiah broke down repeatedly and said, I ain't preaching no more. Cursed be the day I was born. All of that. Ain't nobody exempt. David broke down in discouragement. A couple of times. One time he wept until he couldn't weep anymore. But the Bible says he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Then in Psalm 27, David testifies, I would have fainted. I would have given up. I would have lost it if it had not been for my belief that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Everyone has a breaking point. Everyone has, has a breaking point. And the good news is the psalmist knew where to turn for revival. He didn't turn to drugs. He didn't have to get high. He didn't have to get drunk, right? He delighted in the word of God because he understood that breakdowns happen. But the second thing is it helped him bounce back from discouragement. So just like breakdown happens, bouncing back happens. Bouncing back happens. Everyone breaks down in discouragement. Unfortunately, not everyone bounces back. Every child of God, every prophet of God, every pastor, every deacon, every trustee, every church mother, everyone has a breaking point where you just... You, you just you just drained. You just lose it. You can bounce back, but unfortunately, not everyone bounces back. I, I have several flower beds uh, at, at our house. Several flower beds. It's, I got one in the front of the house. Comes around the front. Goes around the side of the house. Uh, got another couple of flower beds out in the yard. Uh, got one by the mail. One on each side of the driveway. Right and. Um, uh, I used to take care of them real good. I used to, I used to get out there and trim those hedges and all of that. And um, but man, they can just be a magnet for grass and weeds. And then black out out by the curb, I got grass all where the, like where the curb meets the street. Got little patches of grass out there with the. What I need to do, what I need to do is get out there with some Roundup. Just spray all that grass. Cause you got some Roundup that's, that's safe for your flower beds. That it'll attack grass and weeds. Get out there in the heat of the day, just spraying. That's what I need to do. Get out there with some Roundup. That's what I need to do. I said, that's what I need to do. But the thing is, I've done it before. Jimmy, even going so far as to, uh, there was a time when I had, I think, a pine straw or, 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 or mulch or something. So, Sweep all that stuff out, yank up that paper, get all of the grass and weeds and spray it down, go back down, more paper. You know, now we got rocks all around it, you know. Still come back. The grass that's out between the curb and the street, I sprayed it with Roundup. A couple of days, it would turn brown. Then I hit it with the weed eater and it just, it'd be gone. 
but it comes back. It comes back. It comes back. Uh, how many of y'all know the devil tries to put Roundup on your dreams? Just Roundup on your joy. Has the devil ever put Roundup on your peace? But you got to be tough enough like grass and weed chain and just bring back up. I'm intrigued by how grass and weeds can just poke through concrete. You sprayed it with Roundup before. You took it out for a minute, but grass and weeds be like, we coming back. Some of us need to have that kind of anointing, that kind of faith in God, that kind of bounce back with devil. You put Roundup on my dreams. You put Roundup on my faith. You put Roundup. You took me out. I ain't going to lie. You drained me. You knocked me out, but devil, I'm back. I need somebody who can per who can penetrate through concrete. Somebody who can penetrate through the devil's roundup, the devil's discouragement, all the devil's trickery, all the devil's lies, and just declare today, I'm bouncing back. I'm bouncing back. God's been too good to me. God has given too many promises to me. God has washed over me. God has too much in store for me. God is too faithful. God is too good. I'm tough enough to bounce back. I'm tough enough to get back in the game. I'm tough enough to trust God. I'm tough enough to endure. I'm tough enough to make it through this. I'm tough enough. I've been down before. I've gotten back up before. I'm getting back up again today. Just like grass poking through concrete. I'm back. Somebody who's been down, I want you to holler, I'm back. Poke through the concrete of the enemy's territory. Poke through the concrete that's destroyed your dreams and declare, I'm back. He says, your word has quickened me. Your word has quickened me. Your commands has given me life. Your word has given me joy again. Your word has given me peace again. Your word has me confident again. Your word has me dreaming again. Yeah, I'm back. I'm back. I don't have to get high to cope. I don't have to get drunk to deal with it. I'm, I'm back. The word of God is reviving me. Bouncing back. You got to be tougher than the devil's roundup. I'm tougher than the devil's roundup. I'm back. I'm back. And this goes beyond coping, y'all. The word of God is not a coping mechanism. It, it governs his life. He relies on the word of God to renew his strength. So my advice to you, don't turn to ungodly coping mechanisms. You don't need to get high. You don't need to get drunk. Turn to the word of God. And let the word of God revive you. Renew your strength. If we were to ask this psalmist, if we were to get nosy and get in his business, and ask him, how did you make it through the troubles that you faced? He would tell us, if it had not been for my delight in the law of God, wouldn't have made it. I wouldn't have made it. Yeah, the word of God helped me with my belief. The word of God helped me bounce back. Thirdly, God's word helped him, watch this, with his sense of belonging when he was under attack. The word of God helped him with a sense of belonging. I'm in, I'm in verse 94. Verse 94, God's word helped him with his sense of belonging when he was under attack. What does he say in verse 94? I am thine. Yeah, save me. I have sought thy precepts. I am thine. 
yeah, I am thine. Our need to belong is one of our most pressing needs. It is even more critical in this day and time of social disconnection, mass killings, depression, suicide, loss of identity. It is important to know to whom we belong as the people of God. The psalmist says, I got some people who have rejected me. They lie in wait to attack me, but I'm not letting that question cause me to question my worth. I'm not going to let it lower my self-esteem or my self-value because I belong to God. I belong to God. I'm not perfect, but I belong to God. And how many of you know that you don't have to be perfect to belong to God? Yeah. How do you know if you belong to God? Well, the Bible says in 1 John 3 and 9, 1 John 3 and 9, the Bible says, those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Doesn't say we can tell if you're perfect. Says we can look at how you treat folk. Don't let what you're going through cause you to be mean to people. You can still be kind. You can still be courteous. You can still be generous. Then Romans 8 and 9 tells us this. I love this. Romans 8 and 9. Uh, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. How do I know if I belong to God? If the Holy Ghost abides on the inside of me, I belong to God. I belong to God. Not if I'm perfect, but if my heart is right toward him, if the Holy Ghost is on the inside of me, I belong to God. And the good news is, the good news is when other people are attacking you and you know you're not perfect, you know you don't always get it right, but you want to love God. You want to walk in obedience, but you don't always get it right. I've got some good news for all of us who don't get it right all the time. But I'm just curious if I could be nosy real quick. How many of us don't get it right all the time? We strive for it, we want to, we press towards it, but we don't get it right all the time. Don't let other people attacking you make you question your salvation. Don't let other people attacking you make you wonder if you belong to God. Uh, don't let the mistakes you've made and the balls that you've dropped that cause people to attack you in retaliation, don't let that cause you to question whether or not you belong to God. Because Romans chapter 8 verses 1 and 2 says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. What that means is even though I'm messed up and I may have some people who are out to get me, who have thrown me away, God will never throw me away. God will never kick me to the curb. You may have some people who are attacking you who used to be attached to you, but now they're attacking you. And Paul will tell us that God will never turn from being attached to you to attacking you because there's no condemnation. You may be, you may have to be chastised, but you will not be condemned. And that should be good news to somebody who has messed up recently where God can chasten you, put you on punishment, chasing you, but he won't throw you away. 
And maybe that ought to be your testimony today. Maybe that ought to be your praise this week. God, I just want to praise you for how, how you have not thrown me away. And despite how messed up I am, you still have not thrown me away. Despite how things are messed up, God, you have not thrown me away. And the good news is, watch this, because I belong to him, I can turn to him for my deliverance. I can turn to him for my victory. Because look again at this verse. Look again at, at this verse here, verse 94. Verse 9, I am thine, save me. I am thine, save me. Because I belong to you, I know what I can get from you. I belong to you, deliver me. I belong to you, heal me. I belong to you, protect me. I belong to you, provide for me. I belong to you, revive me. I belong to you, open doors for me. I belong to you, make ways for me. I belong to you, do exceeding abundantly above all I could ask or think according to your power that works in me. Because when you know that you belong to God, you know what you can get from God. He turns to God, since I belong to you, I know that I what I have access to, I know my privileges. So what I'll do is I'll just turn to you when I need salvation, when I need deliverance, when I need healing, when I need help, when I need provision, when I need protection, when I need strength. I'll turn to you because I belong to you. I belong to you. Let me get out your way. I've held you long enough. Here's the final four, fourth and final point, y'all. Fourth and final point, my man says, let me tell you how I made it. One thing that kept me going, I never forgot who I belonged to. I never questioned if I belonged to God. I didn't get in so much trouble where I was questioning if I was saved. I didn't get in so much trouble where I questioned if I still belonged to God. No matter how much trouble you get into, don't you question if you still belong to God. If he saved you, you still belong to him. But the fourth and final thing the psalmist would tell us, he says, God's word helped him with his behavior when he was under attack. God's word helped him with his behavior when he was under attack. Yeah. Um, I know it's going to get quiet right around here. Uh, look at verse 95. Verse 95. Uh, the wicked have waited for me to destroy me, but I will consider thy testimonies. The wicked have waited for me to destroy me, but I, I'm not going to clap back. I'm not going to retaliate. I'm not going to stray away from God. I will, here's how I'm going to behave. I will consider, I will reflect on, I will apply your testimonies. The wicked waiting to, are waiting to attack him, but he decided, watch this, to behave. He is focused. Look again at verse 95. Verse 95. The wicked have waited for me to destroy me, but I ain't going to focus on them. I'm not, I'm not going to invest too much mental energy on them. I'm going to focus and invest my mental energy on your word. Are y'all with me today? His mind is on God's word versus the wicked. God's word made him focused and here it is, disciplined. Disciplined. I'm going to focus on what you said. I'm going to focus on that so that in the midst of this trouble, in the midst of this attack, I can yet live a life of discipline. Sometimes you can make a bad situation worse, worse when you give in to a lack of discipline. I mean, it's one thing for them to be attacking you. It's one thing when they're out to get you, but you get to be, you get to run in your mouth, saying stuff you know you shouldn't be saying, talking about stuff you know you shouldn't be talking about. Sometimes it's one thing for the situation to do what it's doing, but a lack of discipline can be far worse. 
It's one thing to know that they're trying to fire you and you still going to show up late for work. You still going to take longer lunch breaks than you should. You still, it's a lack of discipline. Lack of discipline. Do you know what gave Jesus victory against the devil in the wilderness? It wasn't his quoting scripture. Remember when Jesus had fasted and prayed and he was in the wilderness with the devil and the devil was telling him, if you're the son of God, do this. And he said, it is written. Jesus kept responding, it is written. It wasn't quoting the scripture that gave Jesus victory. It was not Jesus' knowledge of, of the scriptures or the word of God that gave him victory. It was Jesus' knowledge of the word of God and his determination to adhere to it. Even when he was tempted, it was discipline. Discipline to adhere to the word of God despite the temptations that came his way. That's what gave him victory. It's when the devil said, if you are the son of God, then do this. And Jesus said, no, I ain't doing it. That's the victory. If you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. No, I ain't doing that. I wonder how many of us realize there's great victory in telling the devil and telling your temptations. No, I ain't doing that. Some of us get ourselves in trouble, not only when the devil tempts us, but when he tempts us and we give in to poor behavior. I knew it wasn't going to get too many. I wasn't going to get too many amens today. It's when you can tell the devil no. It's when you can tell your flesh no. It's when you're tempted to cuss them out, but you say no. It's when you're tempted to tell on them, now that they're telling on you, but you say no. It's when you're tempted to tell them what they can do at their little job, but you, no. No. God's word helped him with his behavior when he was under attack. The wicked have waited for me to destroy me. They're waiting for you on your job. They're waiting for you at, at, at the house. They're waiting for you. Some of them waiting for you in the church. You got to make up in your mind. I'm going to live with a greater level of discipline. Because when I behave myself, God goes to work on my behalf. That's what I want you to walk away with this week. When I behave myself, God goes to work on my behalf. I'm about to close. Tell your neighbor, when you behave yourself, God goes to work on your behalf. And that's what we need. We need God to go to work on our behalf. The psalmist says, when the wicked waited to destroy me, I decided I'm going to behave myself. I will consider, not just think about them. I'm going, to, I'm going to think how I can apply them. I'm going to give in to the word of God. Behave yourself, and God will go to work on your behalf. Tell another neighbor, when you behave yourself, God will go to work on your behalf. Won't he do it for you? You behave yourself with your tongue. You behave yourself with your words. You behave yourself with your anger. You behave yourself with your vindictiveness. You behave yourself and God will go to work on your behalf. Behave yourself and God will prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies because he will work on your behalf. Behave yourself and when the wicked, even your enemies and your foes come upon you to eat up your flesh, they will stumble and fall because God will go to work on your behalf. Behave yourself, behave yourself, and when they throw, when they throw you in the fiery furnace, they will see how the Lord kept you from burning up because God will go to work on your behalf. Behave yourself 
when they put a crown of thorns on your head, when they put nails in your hands, when they put a spear in your side, when they put a spike in your feet, when you behave yourself, they can take you out on a Friday. They can cause you to die on a Friday night and be buried on that Friday and stay dead all day Saturday. But early Sunday morning, you'll show them how you can bounce back through the devil's concrete, bounce back through the devil's roundup because when you behave yourself and not say a mumbling word, when you behave yourself and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. When you behave yourself, God goes to work on your behalf. And I wonder who in here today is catching it and you're tempted to misbehave. Maybe you ought to declare, I'm going to behave myself. And maybe what you ought to holler is, God going to work on my behalf. Lord, I need you to work on my behalf. I belong to you. I need you to work on my behalf. I need you to fight my battles. I need you to open doors no man can shut. Because when you behave yourself, God goes to work on your behalf. If you don't mind, one more time, just the last time, just irritate one more person and tell them when you behave yourself, God goes to work on your behalf. Yes, he will behave yourself, and you're going to make it behave yourself, and you're coming out of this behave yourself, and I declare no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Behave yourself in a hedge of protection. He'll put around you. Behave yourself. Watch your mouth. Watch your thoughts. Watch your words. Watch what you say to people. Watch what you say about people in this season. What you need to do is behave yourself, and God will go to work on your behalf. Can I get a witness here? Behave yourself and declare and say no to worry. Say no to fear. Say no to depression. Say no to anger. Say no to anger mismanagement. Say no to clapping back. Say no to spreading dirt on them because when you behave yourself, God goes to work on your behalf. Can I get a witness here? Say no to violence. Say no to doing them harm. Say no to any type of abuse because when you behave yourself, God goes to work on your behalf. And so the psalmist wants to testify this morning. He says to us, let me tell you how I made it. Let me tell you how I made it through my trouble. Let me tell you how I messed stuff up when I was undisciplined. Let me tell you how I messed stuff up when I said stuff I should not have said. Let me tell you how I made a bad situation worse when I went somewhere and did something I should not have done. I've had to learn the hard way that when you're disciplined and you focus on what God has said, when you behave yourself, God goes to work on your behalf. And so as I close today, I just want to tell y'all how he made it. He says he made it by delighting in God's word. It helped him make it through a tough time of attack in his life. God's word empowered him to believe. God's word empowered him to bounce back. God's word empowered him to feel like he belonged. God's word governed his behavior. And the Lord looked out for him. He honored his word and he looked out for him. That's how he made it. Delight in the word of God. Don't disregard the word, but delight in the word of God. And God will delight himself in looking out for you and opening doors for you and making ways for you and opening doors for you and fighting battles for you and causing your enemies to be your footstool. Can I get a witness here? I said, can I get a witness here? And I wonder how many survivors are in the house who can testify that the devil would have taken me out if it had not been for the word of God. 
guiding me, that the devil would have taken me out if it had not been for the word of God inspiring me and feeding me and nourishing me. Can I get a witness here? And I'm just going to close with this final word of encouragement. I know you're catching it. I know you're tired of going through. And I know you're tired of being tired. But be not dismayed, whatever be tides, because God will take care of you. Won't he do it? Won't he do it? Won't God do it? Let me hear you say yes. Let me hear you say yes. Shout yes. We'll take care of you. You can make it. You can come out of this. God will see you through. Honor the word of God. Develop a delight for the word of God. Study the word of God. Meditate on the word of God. If the psalmist were to tell us how he made it, he would tell us, if it had not been for a delight in the commands of God, I would have died in the midst of my trouble. Turn to the word. Study the word. Meditate on the word. Trust the word. The word works. The word works. This has been Dr. David Anthony Clark of the Union Grove Missionary Baptist Church of Warner Robins, Georgia. We thank you for listening. If you're ever in the Middle Georgia area, please worship with us. On the behalf of Dr. Clark and the Union Grove family, thank you for listening.